listening to The Remix Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Rupnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm here with the famous Allie of Half of Me podcast. Uh, Allie and I, I swear it feels like we've known each other for longer than a year, but she reminded me recently that we only just connected this year. Yeah. It's been a long year though, hasn't it? <laughs> it has been a long year. I think we connected like for both of us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was so excited to see you and I've said this before, but to see you um, out there and to hear your perspective, just really wanted to hear from donor conceived people. Yeah. Uh, I work so much with parents and I have for the past decade that I just felt like this was a voice I wanted to really start getting out there and for parents to hear actual donor conceived adults and their experiences and what they were feeling. Because, you know, when their kids are little, they're too little to process a lot of the, the more complex things around it. So it's just so great to have, have you here on the show. And you motivated me to do this because, you know, it was in your absence that I was like, I miss her podcast so much. <laughs> what do I do? This hole is so big. I have to fill it. Yeah, I have to do something. And so you know, really kind of, you were the catalyst to me starting Three Makes Baby. So thank you for that. Oh, well, well, thank you for, for coming in and bringing more perspectives too. I remember when I found out that I was donor conceived, I went looking for, well, first of all, I've always loved podcasts. So mm. I went looking for one. I was like, there has to be one and there wasn't. And wow. that kind of floored me that I couldn't listen to someone else's story. That's been so helpful mm -hmm. for me and other hard parts of my life, just listening to other people talk about how they went through something and then overcame it. You know, that was always a nice motivator for me. So when I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't have that, that was weird. So I thought, Hey, why not? <laughs> I could do this too. And then the more I started to talk to people and then meet you and meet other donor conceived adults and talk to recipient parents and talk to egg donors and sperm donors, it was like, wow, the more we're talking and the more conversations we're having, the better. Because I'm mm -hmm. certainly not the last person in the history of the world to find out that they're donor conceived. You know, I'm sure there's mm -hmm. others to come and will be for years. So yeah, I love it. I love that we're starting to bring these conversations to... Um, I just feel like being on a podcast and talking to each other is so much more natural than reading something too. I think it's, it's true. so great. So yeah, I'm excited we're here. Yeah. You get a real feel for it. And I do think these conversations are changing the entire landscape. And I'll have some people from older, the older generation too, to talk, come on and talk about it. And I'm really pumped to have them come on because, <laughs> because uh, they've been quiet. You know, yeah. They've been the quiet ones and they've carried the secret. And now they're I think for, for them, you'll find it's cathartic for them to talk about it too. Oh yeah. I mean, even when, when I found out about it, it took a little prodding to get my parents to talk about it. But for mm -hmm. a while there in the months after I found out it was like floodgates were opened and I learned so much more about my parents' early relationship and what they went through when they were dealing with infertility. And I would say it was probably cathartic for my parents to talk to me about it too. I get that because they've been holding the secret for so so long for like 30 mm. years. It's crazy. So to give people an outlet to talk, it's like incredible. So yeah. Liberating. Yeah. Yeah. Liberating for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just, it's just nice to hear your perspective and to, as you've been processing it, you know, you started the podcast early on when you found out and then you've been processing it over time and we really get a good idea of this, of this evolution yeah. that happens this 
well, I'm going to say process again, this process, because it is, it really is a process that takes time. And there's a range of emotions that, that you have been going through that many people experience like similar to yours. And so there's no better way to teach people than, and parents that are preparing for donor conception than for them to listen to your podcast, because they can get that inner world of, of your mind. And I know that donor conceived people respond in so many different ways. And, you know, you've said that, and I've made that clear that there's such a range of feelings. So it's really important for us not to take one story and apply that as truth. We really need the collective story right. of everyone's to, to get a good picture of this. And, and so I think that's really helpful. So you give that dynamic of both sides. You, you have that ability to show both sides of the story. And, and that's where I think people really resonate with you because they're like, that's the truth. The truth yeah. is both sides, not yeah. one way or, or another. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you say that because I heard that exact sentiment in your episode with Colleen when she said it's not a trauma competition. Yeah. And you posted recently on your Instagram that DNA matters, but it also doesn't. And mm -hmm. it's kind of this, you know, dichotomous thing. It's I've over the last several months, I've thought a lot about is donor conception right or wrong. And mm -hmm it's just not black and white like that. And, you know, no one's experience, I don't think is black or white. We can't, you know, I mean, there's definitely trauma involved in, in finding out late, I think. And I think even for people that knew all, all along, there can be some really hard stuff to process, but, you know, pinning blame on, on one thing or another is, is impossible to do. And I just, I think there's so much more depth to, uh, the entire infertility donor conception you know, process to use the word mm -hmm. again, but there's just so mm -hmm. much more. I feel like we're on the bachelor, right? There's, yeah. <laughs> there's, so, <laughs> there's so much more. Never. I know, I know. There's just so much more depth to it than just right or wrong, yes or no, good or bad. And that, you know, I learn more of that every time I myself talk about it as I work through stuff and I learn more about it every time I hear someone else's story. There's just so many, so many variables here that, that go into you know, someone's entire life when, when they're donor conceived or when they use donor gametes. It's so true. And I have to say, every time I talk to you, my mind, you make my mind race, you make my mind just roll. And I just, before I can, before I forget, there's two things that are just rolling through my mind right now as, as I have you here. One is I'd love to hear about your relationship with your diblings or half siblings and kind of what's going on there. And then two, I want to talk about your dad a little bit yeah. as much as you feel comfortable, sure. mostly just in terms of the support or resources that just weren't available because right. that's, I'm really, I'm really big on that as far as helping the guys. There's a lot of, there's a lot more out for women than there is for men. So, but let's start with your, your half siblings. Cause it's yeah. been so fun to hear these <laughs> interviews as they come out and as you meet new half siblings. And I know you took a break for a little bit in your back, but where, um, where, how, how are you feeling about that? And, kind of, is that process changed at all? Or? Yeah, sure. Process yeah. Again. Sorry. So, <laughs> process, process. Actually, little anecdote. If um, you're on The Bachelor, sorry to bring it back there, but and you say <laughs> process in one of your interviews, they make you re-record it and say journey. So <laughs> do they really? Yes. Maybe we need that rule here. Maybe it's a journey. I journey. Don't know. So yes. Journey. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So my donor siblings, I currently have, there's 
oh God, see, I always get this number wrong. There's either 15 of us or 15 and me. So I'm not okay. sure which it is, but it's a, it's a high it's hard number. hard to keep up. Listen, I get it. Yeah. That's kind of part of the complexity of it, right? Is that you just hard to keep track. Yeah, it really is. And I've actually been thinking about this lately. I think I need to make a spreadsheet of, <laughs> yeah, because I keep forgetting like birthdays will come up and um, I forget when birthdays are and I love to wish people happy birthday. I forget how old everyone is. Uh, yeah. I, I mix up where people live and what people do for a living. And um, I'm just thinking I want to send them all Christmas cards and I need all their addresses now. So it's, mm-hmm. I need some way to organize it. And I say that kind of flippantly, but it's organizing it in my, in my brain is a little hard too. Um, because to go from zero siblings to 15 in 10 months, 11 months has been wild. Hmm. And so I, yeah, it's, it's been a lot to kind of, to kind of cope with. And when I, when I first learned that I was donor conceived in January, I had, uh, I want to say about six matches on Ancestry DNA. Um, And I got in touch with maybe like three or four of those matches. Uh, I want to say there were three that I was talking to on a regular basis. And for a while there in January and February, it felt like every week there was a new discovery. There was a new sibling. Uh, And that sibling had a sibling that was also donor conceived. And they just started piling up, um, Mm. to where we are now. My most recent sibling, uh, we found out about him when he tested on ancestry, uh, maybe about a month ago or a month and a half ago. So Mm. it's kind of slowed down the discovery of new ones over the last couple of months. But this time of year, I think is really popular for direct to consumer DNA testing with Christmas presents and Hanukkah presents. I got my results after it was a Christmas present. I got my results in January. So I'm okay. very curious to see if we have another influx after oh, the holidays. Wow, that's a great point. I didn't yeah. think about that. The January could be. Yeah, there's usually a bump in new matches after Mother's Day and Father's Day. They seem to be big gifts that time of year too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've read about that. And then definitely after the holidays. So yeah, so finding out so many at the same time, you know, you had a few months there where you were, your family was, your half sibling family was growing yeah. so quickly. It's like almost probably too fast to even process. Oh no, I said it again. <laughs> to, 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 literally to, too fast to even yeah take it in. Yeah, absolutely. And make sense of it. Yeah, it was a lot. At first it was, I felt really excited every time there was a new match. And I was very eager at first to Facebook stalk this person and Google them and look through their pictures and see if they have any similar features to me. And there were a few of them. I remember I spent a lot of time writing and rewriting first messages to them to because you never know too, when you get a new match, do they know they're donor conceived or am I the one breaking the news? And that was really hard to consider at first, you know, um, how to kind of, how to kind of handle that. And then do they want to know that how many siblings we found and that we know who the sperm donor is? Do they want that information or not? So it's, it's a little, it's a little bit of, you know, tricky footing at first, I think. And that became exhausting, um, that over the, over the next, you know, several months after finding out it, 
it became something that I just wanted to put to the back burner. And my new, my new take on it is that if I'm still active on ancestry DNA and on 23 and me, and if new matches pop up, I'm going to let them come to me instead of me reaching out. It was just taking up too much of my mental energy. And I felt myself, you know, there was one interaction I had with a sibling, uh, where she blocked me after a few messages and that was, it hurt. It really hurt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to do that to myself again. So I've taken kind of a, more of a, more of a backseat there. Um, which is hard for me as a person because I'm like a type A, but, uh, yeah, Yeah. but, um, no, but smart, you know, and you're taking care of yourself. Yeah. So that's a good thing. Cause you know, it, it is so much to take on and in such a quick time that maybe it just, the emotional part of it kind of caught up to you and, and it was hard. And so giving yourself that space and time, I think is really, that's, that's wise of you, Allie. And I I assume that's the advice you would give to others in your situation that are rapidly finding half siblings and maybe feeling a little burnt out or overwhelmed or just uh, heavy, whatever, that maybe they can not take so much responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny you say that. I, I had heard someone recently talking about when they first found their donor, how they took a minute for themselves before they did anything. They didn't talk about it with anyone. They didn't reach out to anyone. They just kind of held on to that information for a while. And I was thinking, wow, that is so smart. That is exactly what I should have done in so many situations since finding out in January. I I wish now in retrospect that I'd done that when I found my donor. I wish Mm -hmm. that I'd really thought about what I want out of this relationship Mm -hmm. and kind of just, just figured out what I need to get out of this. And it's kind of the same with with donor siblings. I think for me, the donor sibling relationship has been lower risk for me than the donor relationship. And I have Mm -hmm. less emotions tied up in the half sibling relationship. Um, but it's still, I think if I could give myself advice a few months ago or give someone new advice, it would be to take your time because Mm -hmm. this is there's a layer of it that's really exciting, I think, at first. But mm-hmm. when that excitement goes away, you're left with, you know, a decades old family secret, new information and new relationships that you have to kind of muddle through. And mm-hmm. I think setting some intentions in the beginning and checking in with yourself is important. And it's something I, yeah, that I wish I would have done and that I'm mm-hmm. definitely going to do going forward with any new half siblings. Yeah. That's great advice to set intentions and move forward with what your intentions are. Cause I hear what I hear you saying is otherwise you can get swept up in maybe every other people's, uh, path or whatever, you know, direction they're going, you might get swept up before you know it. You don't know where you are. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It was, I feel like for several months when I was, meeting these new people and trying to incorporate them into my, you know, dynamic of what I already consider family. It was, I was swept up and I was, I think really out of touch with my own priorities. And, and, you know, I was left after these interactions with my half siblings feeling really great, but also feeling exhausted because I had to process what does this mean for me now? 
-hmm. you know, these half siblings as wonderful as they are. And they truly are all I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I have some pretty cool half siblings, Mm -hmm. um, who I've had really fun times with. And, you know, we share like fun Snapchats with each other and we have group texts and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, as, as wonderful as that is, they still are this reminder that I am donor conceived And I still, I'm working on dealing with that and processing it and therapy, which has been really helpful, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. that's still a bit of an emotional wound for me uh, because I feel like I, I missed out on being my dad's daughter in some ways. Um, So, you know, the half sibling stuff, they're lovely, but they're also this nagging reminder that my life isn't the same as it was last year. That's tricky. So it's like a grieving process. Yeah. Big time. Yeah big time grieving. Um, you know, but I feel like with time, um, it's a, I don't know if this is a real term or not, but it's like healthy grief almost. It's mm-hmm. like a more, I don't know if nostalgic is the way, but it's, it's kind of brought me full circle to where I just appreciate my parents all the much more than I, than I ever have in my life now. So yeah. yeah. And just appreciating in what way they're their story and what they had to go through. Yeah. It it forced me to think of my parents as people in a way that wanted something so desperately. Um, of course, you know, and I've been open about this on my end, my, my own infertility, uh, struggles have given me a different lens to look at that too. But, you know, thinking about my parents as people with a goal that they want a family that they went through a lot of heartbreak until that happened thinking about what my dad had to let go of, um, in order to Mm -hmm. use donor sperm. It's just, it's given me a new perspective of them. And Mm -hmm. I'm, I feel quite lucky that that new perspective, um, puts them in a really lovely light in my eyes. Like I just Mm -hmm. look at my parents with a lot of respect and, um, he certainly had to be open to something that many men and women would never be open to. Yeah. Especially at that time. Yeah. So much, so little was known and and it was certainly not talked about. Yeah. And I don't know how much I've shared of this in the past, but I'll share it now. I I talk about my childhood a lot um, in terms of it being really fabulous and it was, but it also wasn't. There were uh, parts of my childhood that were rough. Um, My father's a war veteran, Vietnam war veteran, and he dealt with some post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, He has OCD, um, which, and I don't mean like the televised kind of OCD, like the, you know, neat and tidy. He has real obsessive thoughts and compulsive uh, actions. Um, and he self-medicated when I was a child, you know, so my childhood wasn't all roses, but in, you know, looking back on it, I think he really was probably dealing with some stuff, you know, I think that, and I wonder a lot too, is the, was the infertility part of that? Was it, did he ever get to really grieve what he was losing out on? Um, and I wonder, you know, and now I look at my dad, he's, uh, on the right meds in the right therapy is sober and he's just like the greatest guy. Um, and that makes me really, yeah. And that makes me really, I know it makes me really happy for him that he was able to get to that point in his life. I know he's like, and I don't think I would have said this when I was like 17, but my dad is a rock star. 
Like he's yeah. a cool guy. And I just have just knowing this about him. I have so much more respect for him and what he's gone through than I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You know, the fact that you can see and think his experiences and empathize with what he went through is, you know, it's so amazing. The, you know, it reminds me of, I can't remember the lyric, but there's a John Mayer song and, and he references that, you know, that, that, that moment you start to realize if your parent, your parents have had a ton of small grieving moments or huge losses and along the way and, you know, just what they've actually been through that we have no clue, yeah. you know, until we're an adult. So, yeah, I feel fortunate that I can look at it you know, I think I've heard other people talk about their parents in ways of like when moments when they realize their parents are human too, it's in a moment of weakness for the parent or in a moment where they weren't so, you know, wonderful for whatever made a mistake. But I'm, I'm grateful that I can look at it. The moment I realized my parents were people was a moment that brought me closer to them. And, um, yeah. And, you know, it's hard for me to say this too, because I don't want to paint donor conception and learning about it late in life as a good thing, because ideally no one should have to find out when they're 28 from a DNA test. But I will say it was one of the better things that happened in my relationship with my parents, because I now feel like I know who they are as people. And I do feel like it brought us closer. Mm. So brought you closer. Yeah, I think it did. I think it did. And I, I'm sorry for people that that didn't have that experience. I fully recognize that that is not the experience of everyone, but that Mm -hmm. is my story. My story is that I look at my parents, I think of their struggle for 10 years to try to get pregnant. And, you know, this is also kind of what's sprinkled in there is that I've been trying to conceive for a year and a half and I can't imagine 10 years. My God, Mm -hmm. that's unbearable. Mm -hmm. So I just think of what they went through. I think of all of the, you know, crap my dad had to put down in order to mm-hmm. donor sperm. And then yeah. I swear, I don't think there was ever a moment in my dad's eyes when I wasn't his daughter. I just can't, yeah. I, I've been replaying a lot of childhood mm-hmm. moments in my head. And I just mm-hmm. don't think, I can't pinpoint any moment where I had a feeling from him that he looked at me differently. Mm-hmm. That's well, wonderful. Yeah, it's good. Awesome. It's good. Yeah, and I know you mentioned on the show that on your podcast that you had maybe just one or two brief conversations with him about this. Have you had more since then, or not? Really? He not really. No. Yeah, he's not a guy who talks about. No, kind of stuff. my yeah, no. yeah. My dad. <laughs> I get is that. Like, <laughs> yes, my dad's going to be seventy years old next year. He is like a he is like a dude. He does not talk about his feelings. <laughs> he's uh-huh. that type at all, but. I will say over the last year, I've had more hugs from my dad than I've ever had in my life, more really? from my dad than I've ever had. Oh, he's like, you know, I, a lot of that too is tied up in the fact that my dad's just in a better place mentally anyway. He's mm-hmm. got, um, you know, he's just really started to take care of himself more. So I think it's all a lot of good stuff has happened. My dad's let go of the secret, got on good drugs <laughs> and, yeah, you know, He's, I think he's, he's doing happy. well. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I talked to donor conceived adults who find out they were donor conceived and have lost their dad. Their dad has passed away. Yeah. And I think there's that another, that layer of 
additional grief for them because they can't work it out with him yeah. in this life. And so, you know, for those out there that are experiencing that, I think hearing your story of how you and your dad, even though you're not talking about it and that's okay, you still, you're talking about it in a different way, you know, through the hugs and through the, yeah. you know, different types of nonverbals and all that, that changes. And you can, we can all sense that when that happens in a relationship and it doesn't have to be spoken. And so I just think hearing that could be really therapeutic, hopefully for others that don't have that opportunity, but maybe could know that that could have been, yeah. you know, it wouldn't necessarily be a negative you know, them find him knowing that right. they knew, found out. Right. You can work through it. Yeah. And I've said this too, like, and I don't know if this is the case for all recipient parents, but I think too, that there's a whole generation of parents that use donor sperm and use donor eggs that never told out of pure fear that it would negatively impact the kid. I, I've had many conversations with my mom about this, that she was solely motivated by the idea that I would be negatively impacted. Yes, um, of yes, course, like yeah. research tells us that the opposite is true, that keeping mm -hmm. a secret is more harmful than telling. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I think going off of that information and, and thinking about like, had my dad passed away before I found out and before I was able to talk to him about it, um, that would have been a little bit comforting to me that he wanted so badly for me to just have a big air quotes, normal childhood and to be healthy mm -hmm. and to not have to question where did I come from? That, that gives me a lot of comfort that I really do believe my parents when they said they were just trying to do what was right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and yeah, my mom does say now that she's read up on it and she knows that the right thing to do would have been to tell. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's good, but you know, I, you can't fault someone for, for the information they had 30 years ago. Well, remember what they were told 30 years ago was that it, they you would never find out. Mm -hmm. So it, in their minds, it was okay not to tell cause you were never going to find out. Right. But they didn't say, don't tell, even if they find, even if they have a good chance to find out, don't tell. Right. And so it's almost like now that people can find out it's, it's definitely very, very different. And you know, it still was risky business back then because you could have a family member or a friend who knew about the conception who would have spilled the beans um, to you. So there was still risky and it still, you know, is, is a hard thing to live with. Yeah. But yeah, I think that was the, the idea was that you were never going to find out. So you weren't going to be hurt. Right. You know, you weren't going to be hurt ever. Hopefully was right. there, was there, was the thought. And yeah. Now it's just, that's not the case. We just don't live in that world anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's science fiction. If you think about it, like to spit in a tube and mail it, and then you find out who your relatives are. Like that's it's pretty cool. Yeah. It, it's so cool. I love science fiction though. I so. know. <laughs> I know. It's so cool, but it's also mm -hmm. like that sound, you know, 30 years ago, that would have sounded like a flying car. Like who would have ever mm -hmm. thought? Mm-hmm. What I don't really mm -hmm. understand and what I'm grateful that um, grateful to my parents for this is the reaction that some parents are giving where their children are finding out and it's undeniable evidence and yet they're still denying the secret. They're still denying what happened that mm -hmm. I can't understand. And I'm glad that my parents, mm -hmm. you know, in the moment were able mm -hmm. to be like, okay, yes, sit down and we're going to tell you about how you were conceived. So I think that took some real strength, like to mm -hmm. finally unpeel that secret and, and spill, spill their guts. But mm -hmm. that one kind of flummoxes me. Like when people still deny what happened, but yeah, that one's, that one's really difficult. And now we talk about how that's a process where people have 
have almost hidden it from themselves. Yeah. The truth from themselves, I think, in part. Yeah, denial's really strong, I think. Yeah, that one's a tough one. Yeah, it's one of the most, it's the strongest coping mechanism or defense mechanism that we have is denial. And so to, you know, and it it's pretty effective. It works for in a lot of situations. And then there's, of course, that point yeah. where denial becomes extremely unhealthy and starts impacting your relationships. And then it's a very unhealthy coping mechanism. And so you yeah. know, to getting someone out of denial is a difficult thing to do. And even therapists, we have to be very careful about when we're working with denial. Interesting. Really careful. Because if you, because denial has, think of it like a rug underneath you. When you, if you were to, I've heard it been stated this way. If, if you take, if you strip someone from their denial defense mechanism through your techniques that you use as a therapist, it would be like pulling the rug up right out from under them. It really, it can be very destabilizing for them. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But therapy is what they need to help get out of denial. And then, and the therapist will gently bring them out. A good therapist would be gent- gentle with that process. Right. Oh gosh. Process again. I'm going to name this episode process. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so good. <laughs> anyway, well, I, uh, so yeah. So, you know, talking about your dad, obviously the support system wasn't there, wasn't talked about. There wasn't, there weren't, you know, they're not really in support groups now. There's still, we're still working on getting that for guys to be able to talk about their feelings. And we know from just some of the small studies that have been done that men, you know, maybe had some more trouble with, with dealing with sperm donation because it just, they don't have that opportunity to carry the baby like with an egg donor, like an egg donor does, or I'm sorry, egg donor recipient parent does. And so, you know, that, that can be, make it a little bit harder for them to bomb. So I think, you know, it's great for now that we're open and we're talking about it more that, that they can get that support. Um, and you know, for your dad, it's just, he's from that different generation where I'm sure he's probably not going to go out seeking support on this (laughs) either. It's just not how he's hardwired. And yeah. So, but he, and he didn't have it back then for sure. I'm sure of it. And the more I think about it too, you know, my husband and I are going through fertility treatments and we're at the point right now where we are using my husband's sperm, but he's still so far removed from the whole, I don't want to say the P word from the whole, (laughs) he's so far removed from all of it, you know? And to think if you decide to use donor sperm, you're even one step further removed. So it was just really, when I think back about my parents, it was just my mom. Like he didn't even have to go to the doctor's appointments. You're right. So I imagine my husband says that he feels uh, that he's kind of like useless in all of this, that he feels Mm -hmm. unhelpful. So I could imagine my dad feeling that way too, just feeling like completely isolated. So Mm -hmm. I imagine that that's something that, you know, recipient parents of, especially of donor sperm, the men might go through just feeling completely isolated where the woman gets the opportunity to grow this baby and, and have the genetic connection. Mm -hmm. And then I wonder sometimes did my dad ever feel like he was on the sidelines of it or, Mm -hmm. or what? Mm, I thought too a lot. Yeah. On my birthday this year, my mom sent me a picture of my dad holding me in the hospital when I was born and I started crying because I was just looking at the picture thinking like, what was my dad thinking in that moment? Mm. You know, what, what was that like for him? And, and did he have anyone to talk to about it or did he just bury it and move on? Mm. I'm not sure. So. Yeah. And men are taught to not express their feelings and, and maybe not even be aware of them. Yeah. Could just be, 
compartmentalize it and put it over here. And that might be the way that, that he worked and coped with it. Yeah. We're just speculating, but yeah, I love talking to you. It's just, I always, I always have a new thought or a new, you know, I just get something new from, from our interaction every time. So (laughs) I love talking to you too. It's like, I, you, you validate a lot of what I'm, what I'm thinking and feeling. And sometimes when I'm talking to you, I just say things that I didn't even plan on saying (laughs) better about them when I do say them. So it's great. (laughs) Oh, okay. Good. Good. Yeah. So you're going through your own infertility process now and like, yeah, it's true that sometimes the guys are behind and they're not really feeling part part of it or the medical community doesn't, or the medical staff doesn't make them feel a part of it. Right. And maybe it looks to you more as the patient and they're just there. Um, so it's, yeah, I think that can make it hard on the couple just knowing that, you know, he doesn't really feel part of it and he's kind of not in a lot of ways. Right. And yet, um, you still need him there. So. Yeah. Yeah. Someone mm-hmm. made a comment to me when we were scheduling, uh, our next, well, the, the IUI, which is when I would hopefully be inseminated. And they said, made some comment that, yeah, he, your husband can be there or not. And I was like, did you imagine? Like, he doesn't even have to be in the room for us to have a baby. It's just so, so weird to think about where, you know, that's definitely something I want him there for just because I want him there, but also because I want him to feel like he's there with me and part of all of this. So yeah, so now I, I got it. After we talked, I want to call my mom and ask if my dad was in the room. Yeah, you should. Yeah, Gosh, I'm wouldn't curious. that be wild if it was like the same thing happened? Like yeah. it repeated itself. History repeated yeah. itself in your family. Yeah. I'm curious about that now. She'll, wow. she'll tell me so. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, it is interesting that can happen. And then also I think that can be um, kind of weird for people. People just feel like, oh, this is, you know, this is hard that I was hoping that it would be done a different way. And now I'm getting pregnant in a, in a doctor's office, you know? So yeah, it's, yeah, I think that it's something that you don't think about until you're going through it. Yeah. And people don't realize the little, little things that become big things throughout treatment that are hard, you know, and different. And, you know, you just, you don't think about it unless you go through it. Yeah. Something else I've been thinking lately about my dad too, is that my dad's Catholic and I'm not Catholic myself, but from what he's told to me, his personal experience with Catholicism has been uh, a lot of guilt and shame kind of imposed oh, okay. on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and not trying to say anything negative about that religion, but just that's what mm-hmm. he experienced. And um, I know that the church in the past has had some things to say about, you know, women's bodies and pregnancy and things. So I'm curious too, what, what role that played uh, okay. in my father's, you know, yeah, dealing with, I'm just, it's just something that just popped into my head. I, I wonder if there's any perspective out there about how religion plays a role in this, because I know my dad has struggled with uh, his religious views in the past, kind of hemming and hawing between wanting to be a good Catholic and then not, and you know, yeah. shame. So, yeah. And the Catholic tr- church does not support IVF. Right. Um, and so, or, you know, donation wouldn't be part of the, what they support either. So yeah, definitely. That would be difficult. And there's so many people that reach out and say that about their religion, particularly I've gotten that feedback from African-American hmm. individuals that say the message they hear from the church is uh, one of, you know, don't mess with God's work kind of thing. Yeah. And so they struggle with that and they actually struggle with talking openly about infertility treatment at all. And then especially donor conception. So there's a, a real need there for the dialogue to open up within within the African-American community yeah. around, you know, around religion. And so, yeah, so interesting that you bring up and something I haven't talked about before 
but it impacts a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, maybe they're doing IVF or they're doing a procedure that they know that their church doesn't support, but they're doing it any, but like you said, they feel guilty or yeah. they feel like they're not being a good church member because of it. And th- that's another layer of complexity and, right. you know, psychological and emotional difficulty that you have to go through. And do you have somebody to talk about that with and, and reconcile that, you know, spirituality does come up in my office because we're talking about something that's so fundamental to life. Oh yeah. So yeah, it definitely comes up a lot. Yeah. I do have a feeling that the reason my father never told his mother is because of religion. My grandmother Mm -hmm. was like the, you know, a plus Catholic. She was just like the, she followed everything to a T and that was Mm -hmm. her life and she really loved it. So I, I have a sneaking suspicion that part of the reason why they kept it a secret on that side of the family is for that reason. Okay. So yeah, Yeah. actually there's a funny story that my parents decided not to baptize me when I was little. Um, they just wanted to raise me to, I don't know, follow my own religious path, I guess. Um, Mm And then my grandmother, so my dad's mom was babysitting me one day. And when my mom picked me up, there was a little bottle, a bottle of holy water tucked into my, <laughs> my carrier. Yeah. She had baptized you oh, herself. Oh, yeah. So I, I have <laughs> yeah. a feeling I've been baptized. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, uh, my, my mom was a pretty, you know, she, she believed in the Catholic, the, the church followings and followed them pretty closely too. So I definitely, yeah, I, I can relate to that in the family. So it does, it does play a role and then it makes it hard to talk about it, harder to talk about it, um, with family members if yeah. they have these feelings, cause they may be, you know, they may be judging you. Right. And so that that's hard. And how do you deal with it? Some people choose not to talk to their, those family members about donor conception because for fear that they're going to, their child will hear get that kind of backlash. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it was great talking to you and I, you know, thanks for coming on. Thanks. I'm so glad your podcast is back. Everyone follow um, Allie at half of me podcast and you know, her process and journey and all of those words (laughs) that we use today. It's fascinating. It's enlightening. It's intellectual. It, I, I really, I tell everybody that I know about your podcast and, and I think you're pretty famous worldwide now. I think you are. (laughs) Well, thank you. I don't know. I don't know if I would go famous, but you know, sometimes they, yeah. Your voices anyway. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) It is kind of trippy to think that, I mean, you know what I look like because we've typed before, but yeah, (laughs) I kind of enjoy that little, little secrecy, but uh, that's right. You get to be, uh, nobody knows who you really (laughs) are. So it gives you a sense of freedom too. Probably it does. It does. Yeah. It lets me talk a little bit more openly. I think about, about my thoughts. So, (laughs) which helps others. And so, you know, I mean, you really are. Well, thank you. I'll say thank you on behalf of so many people I've talked to that say how much it, it helps and has impacted them. Thank you for what you've done and, and for, um, and for inspiring me too. So, well, thanks. I mean, like I said, in the beginning of this, you know, I just, I hope that other people finding out, you know, late in life that their donor conceived that they, now have somewhere to go that they can hear other stories like their own and maybe not feel so alone and not feel so weird. So that's my goal is just to, to allow, you know, others to listen and process and for others to come on and share their story too. Thanks for listening. 
If you would like to follow me for more content, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Jana Rupnow LPC. And you can also grab a copy of my book, Three Makes Baby, on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and Target.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate it and share it with a friend if you like it. Have a great day.